0: I have a question for you guys. Have you ever felt just like super down before? You know, kind of like blah. You know, just the moments when you kind of see the negative side of everything. You get a little moody, a little grumpy, a little melancholy. It's not that you want to feel that way. You just kind of, you kind of just can't snap out of it. There are times when, when you're like that, when you get in that kind of mood, any time it hits where we, we kind of withdraw from people. We, we just feel loner. and and everything is affected by it. and It's almost as if we're caged in our thoughts and we can't break free from the cage no matter how hard we try. Has anything like that ever happened to you before? Because my guess is, no matter how boisterous, no matter how chipper your attitude is normally, there are times when every single one of us faces those those low moments, those times when we feel a little, little hopeless, maybe a little despairing, overwhelmed by our circumstances. It is perfectly normal. And for for most of us, those last maybe, maybe a few days, at most a few weeks, and then it typically goes away. But there are, for some people, a persistence of that state of feeling down, feeling low, feeling grumpy and melancholy and moody that can last for months and even years. And that's when it can begin to get really dangerous because that's when it slips into what's called depression. And and oftentimes it slips into a clinical depression and depression is such a powerful force in people's lives. One of the things that makes it so powerful is that it affects the way that you view everything around you. I've heard it said before that depression oftentimes is is like a, a, a pair of lenses with which you view the world. So, so I have over here some, some sunglasses, your prescription sunglasses that I wear. Now I've got my normal glasses that I wear most of the time and, and they're clear which means that they don't really affect, they don't shade what I see. When I look around, everything I see is, is clear. But when I put these, these bad boys on, I take off my normal glasses, I put on my sunglasses. Now when I look around, everything is darker. It, it affects, it doesn't matter if I look up or down or side to side, doesn't matter where I look, these are gonna affect the way I interact with the world around me. Okay, so I know you can see me wearing the sunglasses, but you can't see what I can see, so I need a little bit of help. So Liam, I'm gonna ask you to come up here Uh, Liam's going to help us get a view of what I'm seeing. Liam, say hi to the world. There you go. That's Liam. And Liam is going to show you my point of view. So so this is like normal right now, right? But then you put the sunglasses on, if you will. And look how this affects the view. I mean, you you can look around right now and you can see how the room has changed. So I I can pull the lens off right now, put it back on. And when you do that, I mean, you just see that everything is shaded by it. And this right now, this look that you see, this is the way depression works. It shades, it darkens everything that you look at. Every interaction with anybody or with anything is affected by depression. All right, Liam, thank you, sir, I appreciate that. So this is just an example for you to see how this whole thing works. Because there are people right now who are going, Jason, you are describing my life. This is what it feels like for me. I feel like I get in these modes when I can't view anything the same anymore. It's so, I feel everything feels down and foggy and cloudy. And what's so amazing is that such a huge portion of the population suffers from some form of depression. In fact, the studies are showing right now, largely because of the pandemic, it is almost one out of every three who struggle with moderate to severe depression. There was a a study done uh, that's done every single year by the U.S. Census Bureau it's called the Home Pulse Survey I talked about it a couple weeks ago and they study psychographic uh, information of the of the United States of America and the adults and they found in the year 2019 70 percent of the population struggled with what they assessed as moderate to severe depression one year later the middle of 2020 after the pandemic hit that number jumped from 7% to 30.2% of the U.S. adult population that self-identified with moderate to severe depression. Debilitating depression. 400% increase in one year. And this is an incredibly profound problem right now in the United States of America. And let me tell you, it's not, I'm not talking about sadness. And I don't, I don't want you to misdiagnose what I'm talking about here because there is something that's sadness that is different from depression. I know depression can have elements of sadness in it. But sadness is a very normal, healthy response to loss. It's a form of grieving. If you lose anything, it could be as severe as losing a loved one it could be as minor as losing a fish, a pet fish. I mean, it, it could be any extreme. It's a loss. It could be as uh, a, a relationship that's lost. It could be a dream that's lost. Any kind of loss, when we experience it, we, we will have sadness. And we're supposed to have sadness. In fact, if you bottle up that sadness, that affects your mental health in terrible ways as well. So you need to have sadness from time to time. But that's not the same thing as depression. Depression is when sadness becomes debilitating, when it starts to affect your overall health, when it persists on for months and years, and when it doesn't match the situation, when the sadness isn't warranted by the circumstance that you're in. This is when you know you could be slipping into some form of depression. And I want you to know depression is such a powerful force. It has so many effects on the body that you may not even be aware of. That there are some that likely you're aware of, you know, things like it affects your mood, you feel Uh, maybe tired, you feel hopeless, you feel despair. Those are things that many people are aware of. But what you may not be aware of is it has all kinds of ramifications on your physical health. Like it, it is a source of heart disease, of insomnia, of lethargy, of osteoporosis. When I read that, I'm like, how in the world? I don't know, but the statistics show depression can lead to diabetes and osteoporosis and other problems like that because of the way it affects the body. But one of the worst ones, One of the gravest ones is it leads people to desires for self harm and the suicide attempts have increased exponentially and there are very vulnerable populations in our country right now. So I'm going to tell you, I read a statistic that broke my heart. It broke my heart because I happen to have five daughters and the statistic was about girls ages 12 to 17. And the statistic showed that over one year the number increased of little girls ages 12 to 17 who were hospitalized because of attempted suicide, it rose 51% between the fall of 2019 and the fall of 2020. Let me just tell you, as a daddy of girls, that is not okay with me to hear that kind of statistic and to see the effects of depression upon our country. It is ravaging so many people. Some of you watching this right now know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't think we can just sit back when this problem is so pervasive and do nothing about it and say nothing about it. Because God's word speaks to this issue of depression. And this morning I believe He wants us to speak to it as well. And here's one of the most important things God wants to tell you if you are one of those who struggle with depression, whatever level of whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, what God wants to tell you is that it does not mean that you have somehow failed in your faith or you don't love God or you or there's something wrong with you if you struggle with depression. There are so many who do, and God still uses people that come from all different backgrounds. In fact, if you were to look at the Bible, you would see heroes of the faith, who we believe as we study the scripture, struggled with depression. I could tell you about King David. You should read the Psalms and see his ups and downs. He had severe moments of depression. You have Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet. I mean, he struggled with these moments of incredible mourning and suffering. You can look at the apostle Paul in some of his moments when he was in jail. John, when he was on the island of Patmos, all of these people who struggle with low moments, despairing, hopeless moments and yet God still used them. And don't let Satan lie to you if you struggle with this and tell you that God can't use you. In fact, today we're gonna look at one of the most profound stories of a man who struggled with acute depression, clinical depression, if you will. And you're gonna see how God used him as well. His name was Elijah and his story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. So open your Bible, if you will, to the Old Testament. We're gonna be in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, before we jump into the passage, though, I need to say a couple of things because we're going to diagnose Elijah from from a clinical depression perspective. And I got to give this caveat. I told you I would do this every week and I have to admit to you, I'm going to try to make clinical diagnoses about this man. And I am not a counselor. I am not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm a pastor. So I'm way above my pay grade and I am leaning upon the knowledge of other people who've explained to me what's taking place with Elijah in this passage of scripture but I want to make sure you know that I know I'm not an expert on this, but I can see clearly as we look at Elijah's story, some of the problems that he dealt with and what you can discover as we go through this is that here was a man beautifully used by God that still struggled with an incredible amount of depression. So, so for you to know his story, you got to know what happened in the chapter before. So in chapter 18, you have this incredible showdown that took place. It was basically like a, a wild west gunslinging showdown at high noon between Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. It was a question to see whose God was really God. And they had this massive duel in the middle of the day about a sacrifice that was made. And you should go back. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Go back and read chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Incredible victory. But basically, God shows himself to be powerful through Elijah. Elijah proves that his God, Yahweh God, is a true God. And he ends up killing all 450 prophets of Baal. It was a decisive victory for Elijah and for Elijah's God. And just when you think Elijah would be on a spiritual high, feeling on top of the world, he sinks into a terrible despair and depression. And it's interesting though, before I jump into it, this actually happens a ton. There are a lot of people who experience their greatest depressions right after a major victory, right after a spiritual high, right after a success. I don't know why it works that way, but it happens so often, a crash comes right after the high. That's exactly what happens to Elijah. So here he is, he's had this great victory, but now the king's wife, Jezebel, finds out about it and threatens Elijah. And let's listen to what happens. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse one, says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servants there left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying it is enough. Now O Lord take away my life for I'm no better than my fathers. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat. And he looked and behold there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now now stop there for a moment. So here you have this man who just had an incredible victory. Jezebel finds out about Jezebel threatens this guy. And for whatever reason, it causes Elijah to slip into a despairing depression. In fact, as as I've been talking to some counselors, they've expressed to me, he's showing the classic signs of depression. I mean, you see it primarily in these thoughts of despair to the point where he doesn't want to live any longer. He says, oh, that I might die, take away my life from me. If he didn't want to live, he's so despairing. And then it says that he keeps going on his broom tree and falling asleep and he's sleeping and sleeping, which by the way, another sign oftentimes of depression is lethargy and, and people who can't get out of bed and they, they can't stop sleeping the day away. That's what was going on here with him. And also you see change of eating habit. He doesn't, he doesn't want to eat anymore. The Lord has to wake him up and force him to eat and to drink. Another classic sign of depression. And then you see him feeling like an utter failure. He's just had this major victory and he goes, I'm, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm a loser like all the rest of them. He's just in this fog and in this funk in total despair. Elijah the prophet struggling with immense despair and depression. Now, I, I want to pause right there. And, and I want to talk to you who are watching this. Because I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know every single one of you. But I know that right now, whoever's watching this, if you're sitting with your family right now, if there's more than three of you, it's likely that one of you is struggling with some form of moderate to severe depression, at least statistically speaking. And, and I want to make sure you can see the signs of it. Because some of them may surprise you. So I actually, I have in front of me right here a questionnaire that was designed by a medical community that helps diagnose whether you might be struggling with depression or not. In fact, if you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, in the comments below, you'll see a link to this so that you can look through this questionnaire on your own to determine if you might be struggling with this. But there are some things I think that you might feel naturally aware of. You know, it says one of them is, do you feel down, depressed, or hopeless? Okay, naturally, if you you think you're struggling with depression, you'd see that. Another one is, do you feel like you're a failure? Do you feel bad about yourself? Do you feel self-loathing? It's another probably natural sense of depression. Another one is, do you have thoughts that you'd be better off dead, or do you have thoughts of hurting yourself? Again, self-harm, it's kind of a natural thing that people expect when they think about depression. But I want you to listen to some of the other ones here because you may be suffering with something and you don't even realize it's depression. You know something's off, but you can't quantify it. It also says here, do you have little interest or pleasure in doing things? In other words, things that used to bring you joy now, it's just kind of blah, it just doesn't doesn't do it for you. There's no joy in it anymore. Are you experiencing that? Another one says, do you have trouble falling or staying asleep or do you have trouble sleeping too much? So insomnia or or, or too much sleep. Another one, do you have feelings of being tired or having little energy, again, a lethargy like I spoke of? Do you have poor appetite or do you have a pattern of overeating because changes in eating habits can be a sign of depression? It says here, do you have trouble concentrating on things? Like someone's speaking to you. They have to repeat it multiple times. You're trying to write an email. You can't remember what you're saying. You're watching something, and you're not able to concentrate on it. Another one interesting is, do you have a tendency to move or speak so slowly that people recognize it? Like, hey, why are you talking so slowly? Or being so fidgety and restless that you move around a lot more than usual. These are odd signs, but these are signs that could be that depression has crept inside you. I mean, so if you're interested, go to those comments, download this, and look for yourself. But what I want you to see is there are a lot of people struggling with depression. They don't even realize it because they don't see the signs in their lives. For Elijah, he was in a moment of struggling with intense depression. Now, again, I want to pause right here, and I want you to realize this. Here is a man powerfully, miraculously used by God. And he was a man who struggled with depression. So if you struggle with depression, do not let Satan lie to you. God can use you. God will use you because that's the kind of God we have. Elijah had to deal with what was taking place because God wasn't done with him. And so what I love about this is God says to Elijah in his moment of depression, meets him and says, I want to help you Elijah right now. Cause there's a war going on in your mind and you need to win this war. And that's exactly what I want to say to you. If you are struggling with depression in any form, there is a war going on right now in your mind and there are steps you can take to begin to win this war. Now I'm going to be walking through ways that you can go about this. I'm going to give this pause and this caveat as well. I'm going to give you a lot of steps that I pray every single one of you will take. There will be some of you who will discover as you go through this process that it's still not changing for you. And it could be that your depression is stemming, not just from the mind game going on, but it could be a chemical thing taking place, a neurological thing. There could be bipolar, there could be manic depression. There are other things that you may need to seek professional help with could be trauma related, some kind of experience that you've had that has been so difficult for you that until you deal with the trauma, you won't find the freedom that you're looking for because your mind can't get there. So if that's you and you discover that, it is not a sign of failure to seek help, it is a sign of humility. And I want to encourage you, let us partner with you. I'll tell you later in the service what you can do, but you need to be willing to humble yourself and say, I can't conquer this on my own, give me help. So make sure you keep that in mind as I talk. But for every single one of us, with the warring taking place in our mind, there are things we can do. And this passage of scripture gives us some ideas of things that we can do to combat the onsite of of hopelessness and despair and depression that the enemy would wanna bring upon us. So there there are three questions that you can begin to ask if you wanna take the war on and fight for your mind. And these three questions are part one of a two-part process I've been talking about every single week. If you remember what it is, you gotta first take the thought captive that's, that's taking you down the dark pathway, and then you have to replace it with something better. Take it captive and replace it. That's the same pattern I've been talking about every single week. And so the first step we gotta do when you have thoughts brewing in your mind is you gotta take the thought captive. And I wanna tell you, almost 100% of the time, thoughts that lead toward depression and despair, they stem from the simple act of feeling hopeless. It is always hopelessness that brings us in the pathway to despair and depression. So what you have to do is you have to determine what is causing the hopelessness. So here's the first question you need to ask yourself. And I highly encourage you to journal these questions out. And they're they're very similar to the questions I gave you a couple weeks ago when we talked about fear and anxiety. Here's what it is. Ask yourself, what is actually causing the feeling of hopelessness inside me? Just just write that out. What is actually causing this feeling of hopelessness that I have right now? you got to identify it there's something, if it's just this nebulous feeling of hopelessness, you can't attack it, but when you can stop and say, okay, but what is it really? Is it the way I was treated by somebody? Is it a feeling that I won't ever, I won't ever be able to recover from this? Is it a feeling that I'm a failure, that nobody wants me? What's causing the actual feeling of hopelessness inside of you? Now the reason I know you need to ask that question, because this is kind of what God does to Elijah as the story continues. So if you move on in verses nine and 10, I want you to see how God deals with Elijah in this depressive state. Verse nine says this, And there he came to a cave and lodged in it, talking about Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So basically, God comes to Elijah in this low moment that he's in, this depressive state that he's in. And he, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's almost a question like, how did you get here to this state of mind, Elijah? He's trying to help him identify the cause of his feeling of hopelessness. And Elijah starts talking and he says here, there are three things, God, that, that are causing the hopelessness inside of me. One of them, I feel abandoned by you, God. He says, I, I've been so jealous for you, Lord. I've been fighting for you, standing up for you. And where are you at right now? Why aren't you defending me? He feels abandoned by God. Second thing he feels is he feels like an utter failure. He says, Look, here I am your prophet, but the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. I haven't made a lick of difference. I haven't made a dent in it your people aren't worshiping you. I've failed as your prophet. So he feels abandoned by God. He feels like a failure. And the third thing he feels completely alone. He says, and I, even I only am left. There's no one but me. So he's identifying his source of hopelessness. Abandoned by God, I feel like a failure, I feel like I'm all alone. By the way, those are often the same chief causes of depressive, despairing thoughts that many of us have as well. We feel like God isn't there for us, we feel like we're all alone, we feel like we're failures. And this is where Elijah was. But what I love about what God does is he doesn't leave Elijah just stewing in this state of mind. He moves on. And that's the second thing that you need to do. You don't, don't just ask yourself what's actually causing the the feeling of hopelessness inside me. You got to move on to a second question. And it's, it's a beautiful question. What does God have to say about it? So what causes the hopelessness? But now let me turn to God and to his word and what does he have to say about it? This is exactly where God turns to Elijah as well. So if you were to keep reading, I want you to skip over to verse 14. You're going to see he reiterates the same question, but God finally answers. Look at verse 14. Elijah, it says, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So he's just repeating the exact same thing as he said back in verse 10. But look at God's answer, verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mechola, you shall anoint to be, king, to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So so basically, and there's a lot of details in here that are confusing, a bunch of names you don't readily understand, but basically what's going on is God is answering every single one of his questions. First of all, he comes to him and speaks to him. And he's saying, Elijah, I haven't abandoned you. I've been with you the whole time. Now maybe you didn't realize I was with you, but here I am speaking to you. I haven't abandoned you. So he's dealing with that first feeling that he has, that he was abandoned by God. Then he moves on to the second one. He says, I feel like a failure that like I haven't changed anything. And what God says to Elijah is, Elijah, you haven't failed me. You've done exactly what I needed you to do. You were sparking a movement where I'm gonna purify my people and cast out those who serve Baal. So here's what you're gonna do, Elijah. You're gonna go anoint Hazael, king of Syria, and he's gonna continue to attack these people who worship Baal. And when they get away from him, you're going to anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and he's going to attack all these people who serve Baal. If they get away from him, you're going to anoint Elisha, your prophet in your place, and he's going to attack these people of Baal. And they're going to continue the good work. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Elijah, I'm going to finish the good work I started in you. Don't you worry about it. You have not failed. You're doing exactly what I wanted you to do. Just keep at it. He's attacking that, that lie, that thought that he was a failure, and he's going, you're not a failure. You're doing exactly what I need you to do. And that last thought, you remember, he felt like he was all alone. Even I, only I am left. And God says to him in verse 18, no, man, there's still 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal, who have not kissed the statues of Baal, who still worship me. You are not alone. And what he's doing right now is he's bringing his word to bear upon the lies that Elisha was believing that were leading to hopelessness. And every single one of them, he's confronting it, saying it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Don't believe these lies that are leading you down that dark pathway to despair, Elijah. They're not true. So that's why we have to always come back when we know what's causing the hopelessness, we let God speak into it. And that'll arrive us at the third and final question. And it's one that's so important that we ask. And this, should I really feel hopeless? I think that's what he was trying to get Elijah to see. Elijah, look at truth and ask yourself, should you really feel hopeless? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in our almighty God, then the answer will be 100% of the time, no. Because if we have anything in almighty God, we have hope. Because He is a God of hope. He is a God who reigns in power and who can handle any situation. And we have hope in Him. And so every time you feel these hopeless, despairing thoughts spiraling in your mind, leading you toward that dark place, into a state of depression, you gotta begin to take those thoughts captive. Ask what's causing it. What does God say about it? And then choose to believe in God over those lies. You're taking the thought captive. Now I I know when I say this, I know exactly what you're thinking. There are some of you right now going, Jason, I wish it were that easy. I wish I could just teach myself to believe that everything's going to be okay. Like you think I want to be in this state, Jason. I've tried, I've tried so hard to overcome these thoughts and these lies. I've tried to read the scripture. I've tried to pray. and Nothing seems to be breaking through. I I don't know how to overcome this. I can't. And you know what? You're right. You can't. And I can't do it for you. But let me tell you, there is someone who can and he is on your side and it is almighty God. That's why what I told you is so important before you don't just take the thought captive. You also have to replace it with something better. And so you've taken the lies captive, but the most important thing you must do is to replace the lies and you replace the lies with nothing other than almighty God himself. You fill yourself with his holy presence. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. You heard Reggie talk about that earlier in worship, the idea that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and that God himself would dwell in us and he would fill all those voids and bring us hope because he himself would be with us. This is exactly what he says to Elijah. Now, I skipped over a passage of scripture; it was intentional in the storyline. But before he ever answered all the lies in Elijah's mind, he actually did something else, something more important. He came to Elijah to be with him and met with him face to face. I want you to go back in the passage to verse eleven. So in verse 10, if you remember, he said, man, I, I feel abandoned by you, God. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like no one here is, there. I'm, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. And before God answers a single question, look at what he does in verse 11 through 13. It says, and he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So it says, he wrapped his face because he knew he was about to be in the presence of Almighty God. And so he wrapped himself, covered himself and went out to meet Almighty God. What God gave Elijah when he was in his lowest state was himself. He came to meet him. But I want you to see, I I love the tenderness with which he meets him. He comes out and he says, look at my power. There was a massive wind that was just tearing the mountains apart, but he wasn't in that massive wind because he knew that's not what Elijah needed. And then he came by with an earthquake, but that's not how he encountered Elijah because Elijah wasn't ready for it. He comes by after that with this massive fire, but he wasn't in the fire because he knew Elijah wasn't ready for that. But when he does come to Elijah, he comes in the soft, gentle whisper. When he comes and he caresses his face, and he says, I'm with you, Elijah. I love you, I've got you. I just feel like you see the, a picture of the tenderness of God. When he knows that when people are struggling with depression and despair and feeling overwhelmed, that's not the time where he comes crashing down and says, I'm almighty. Come worship me. No, no, he bows down with us, gets on his knees with us and says, I'm here. I'm your God. I'm ready to meet with you. And there are some of you right now who are watching this. You need to know God is there with you. And he's gently coming to you. And he's saying, my child, I love you. I'm not disappointed in you. You haven't failed me. It's not too late. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I've got this. And I think you need to let the Lord speak to you because right now Satan is lying to you. There's a war going on in your mind and God is saying, I'm going to win this war, but I'm going to win this war for your mind. Just let me be with you. So if you're struggling right now and you're working to take these thoughts captive and the thing that will lift you up out of the miry clay is to know that your God is with you and you seek him, you pursue him because you have been given that right in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that will help you more than knowing you have a God who is so powerful. He can tear down the mountains. He can bring an earthquake. He can bring a fire. Yet he chooses to come softly to you. He's a God who has all power, but loves you. And when you choose to meet with him, that's when he lifts you up. So I want to finish with a verse from the book of Hebrews in the new Testament. And I want to talk about the fact that we've been given a privilege to enter with confidence into the very presence of almighty God. But we don't have to cover our faces the way Elijah did. We can go boldly in because of what Christ Jesus did for us. It's Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Listen to what it says. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what a beautiful passage for those of us who are hurting, for those of us who feel low, who feel like we just can't go on. He says, I'm ready to meet with you you can come into my presence. Why? Because you have a great high priest who sympathizes with your weakness. I mean, if you were to go back to Isaiah 53:3, you realize that Jesus was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He was a man who knew what it meant to be overwhelmed, to be overcome, to weep the entire night in prayer. And he can sympathize with our brokenness and our hurt and our pain. But but, but we have all kinds of friends who can sympathize with us and they can't do anything to help us. But where where they can't, our Lord Jesus can. Because he's not just a king, a priest, who can sympathize with us. He's a priest who has passed through the heavens and right now is at the right hand of the Father. When it says that he passed through the heavens, it is saying that our king, yes, he died for our sins on a cross. He was buried in a grave, but three days later, he rose up from that grave and he was on the earth with the disciples for 40 days. And then he ascended up to the right hand of the father and he passed through the heavens. And right now he intercedes on our behalf before almighty God. We have a king who can save us who bore our sins upon him, even though he was sinless, who understands us and says, come to me when you're broken, when you're overwhelmed, when you're heavy laden and I'll give you rest and I'll heal you. Come to me, come to the throne room of grace with confidence, because you're going to find the grace that you need. You're going to find the mercy that you need. That's his invitation to you right now. Come to me and find my healing. And that's what I want to ask you to do. If you're watching this right now and you're struggling, and you're in a low paced place, and there are many of you right now in that pocket, it's the time for you to take the thought captive. Don't let the lies permeate and to draw near to the Lord and find his help. Listen, I want to say this. There there are steps you can take, and you need to take these steps I'm about to give you. But I know there are roughly about two-thirds of you that don't struggle with depression, at least not the majority of the time, and you're gonna be really quick to go, I don't need to listen to what Jason's about to say because I don't struggle with this. And if the statistics are true, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me say this as, as nicely as I can, it is your spiritual duty before Almighty God to be there for the people around you who are suffering with depression. Just as Jesus Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses, so you and I, if we're not in the season of depression, must sympathize with the people around us who are suffering and be ready to help them. Because when somebody is in acute depression, they're not going to be able to pull themselves out on their own. They're going to need help because the last thing they're going to want to do is draw near to God and we need to help them recognize the lies, speak God's truth in them, help them come into the presence of God, drag them to church if we have to, drag them to the online services, help them discover God. So please listen to what I'm about to say, whether you struggle with this or not. But if you do struggle, here's what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to take the thought captive and replace it by filling yourself with Almighty God. So here's what you do. You journal some thoughts out. The same three questions I talked about before. You take the thought captive. What is really causing the feeling of hopelessness inside of me? What does God have to say about it? And should I really feel hopeless? And journal out your thoughts so you can arrive at the place of no, you can recognize the lies. And then the second thing you do is you pursue the presence of God with every fiber of your being. And you don't just do it once and it's over. It's not a one and done kind of thing. Usually depression comes on wave after wave after wave. You spiral down further and further. So you're not just gonna pop out of it immediately. No, no, you, you come back out of it slowly but surely as day after day after day you seek the Lord, you sit at His feet, you read His word, you dwell in His presence. You gotta pursue Him. And you gotta decide every single day you're gonna do it. And so I wanna encourage you to take that step of faith and I wanna remind you that Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood so you would have that right to enter into the presence of Almighty God. Take him up on his offer and find healing for your soul. But I told you earlier, there are some of you who are gonna go through this process and it's not gonna be enough. Let me remind you, if you try to do this and you still struggle with deep depression, or especially if you're getting to a place where self-harm is on your mind, then I wanna encourage you to seek help and we wanna partner with you. So if you would like to counsel with somebody, you can begin with some of the pastors will pray with you and we can connect you with Christian counselors and those who can help you take next steps to finding healing. All you gotta do is get your phone out and you can text the word prayer to 94253. And when you text that word prayer to 94253, what it's going to do is it's going to send you to a link where you can let us know. And a pastor will reach out to you. We'll pray with you. We'll counsel with you. And we'll, we'll see if we can help connect you with some really reliable Christian counselors and resources that we have to get the help that you need. And remember, this is not a sign of failure. This is just you in humility saying, God, I want to use the resources you've given me. And we want to partner with you. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But before I do, I got to say this one last thing there are some of you watching this, and I'm certain of it, that there's a step you haven't taken yet and you will not find healing until you take this step. And it's a step of taking and declaring your faith in Jesus Christ. Because what I said earlier is still true. The only thing that can pull you out of the pit of despair is the presence of Almighty God. But as long as you have sin in your life that has not been dealt with, Holy God cannot be inside of you. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was willing to bear our sins. And if we will just confess our sins and invite Christ into our hearts to take over, to cleanse us of our sins, then the very spirit of Christ comes inside of us and we become his and we get reconciled to God. And that's when God begins to pull us out. But it begins by declaring our faith in Jesus Christ, calling upon the name of the Lord. And the reason why this is so important is is because if you're watching this on Sunday morning, this evening, we are going to have a baptism celebration at Lake Viridian in North Arlington. And if you live in the DFW area, there is still time for you to be a part of it. If you're ready, you're tired of feeling overwhelmed. You're tired of not having the answers. You're going, I need you, Jesus. I'm ready for you, Jesus. Take over my life. Then today can be the day where everything changes, where you find the peace that comes only with Christ Jesus and the hope that can pull you out of despair. So if you'd like to do that, we are ready to meet with you. There is still time. All you have to do is you get your phone out, you text the word BAPTISM to 94253, just like you see it right there on your screen. In fact, that little slide is going to be on the next worship song. And you let us know. It's super fast. You just give us your name, email, phone number, that's it. And a pastor is ready to reach out to you and to call you to counsel with you and get you ready. We'll have a t-shirt there for you. We'll have everything in place for you. And you can be at Lake Viridian at 5.30 for the baptism this very evening. And you can say today I'm ready for the Lord to have victory in my life. Don't miss the opportunity. If God's stirring your heart, there's still time. Just text the word BAPTISM to 94253. Now we're gonna have this next song for you to do so. We remember that the mighty is the power of the cross, but all of us can rejoice in that fact. And we can come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing this song and I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper.